The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollas, and you are listening to Pa de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. I'm so glad you guys are here listening in this week because today's episode is a very special collaboration crossover episode here at the Premier Dance Network. Before I get started with that, just a couple of fun and exciting things. Um, I just found out that I am going to be uh, teaching contemporary classes for the Second Avenue Dance Company, which is uh, comprised of graduating BFA and MFA students at NYU's Tisch School. It's New York University. Uh, also, I just today got back from teaching master classes in ballet and contemporary techniques for uh, the the top level students at the School of Pennsylvania Ballet. So, lots of exciting things happening. Um, if you do want to get in the studio with me, I am teaching open advanced beginner ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center every Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, through the end of February. So if you want to take a ballet class with me, you can join me at Broadway Dance Center on Fridays. I've got a few other things brewing beyond this, but that's what's happening in my life as of now. Now, on to what you came here for. Never before in the history of dance podcasting have two hosts created two episodes that were meant to piggyback off of each other and offer discussion of the same subject in this way. I've become friends with uh, Melissa Clapper. She's a professor from Rowan University and also currently a fellow at NYU Center for Ballet and the Arts. Uh, and all of this is thanks to, to PDN. We've gotten to meet in person, she's interviewed me for a book she's writing, and I've even enjoyed Shabbat dinner at her home. Melissa is the host of the Pirouettes from the Past podcast that runs monthly on Kimberly Falker's Balancing Point. And over Shabbat dinner, we discussed creating this special crossover episode. So this is actually months in the making. Um, and my one crossover episode has so much information that it's actually turning into a two-parter. So you're going to have to stay tuned next week to get all of the information. Uh, so anyway, after you listen to this episode of Pod to Chat, be sure to head over to the to PremierDanceNetwork.com and check out all of the relevant information Melissa shared on her episode that also releases today as well. So much information on dance. It's so exciting, <laughs> especially if you're a bunhead. If not, you might not get that, but I hope you do. All right, so you're probably wondering what we are podcasting about by this point, because I'm just rambling on and on about the collaboration, but I haven't told you the topic. So the topic of this podcast has actually been my most requested topic. Uh, multiple listeners uh, from across the country, and even I think one in Europe asked for this, and I've even had friends and peers and colleagues mention that they think this would be a great idea for a podcast as well. So today will be the first part of a two-part series for me where I'll be talking about the differentiation between different styles of ballet techniques and trainings and how they are used in the studio today. On the other hand, Melissa will be podcasting on the history of some of these techniques on her channel. This has easily become one of my most collaborative episodes, and I have done all of the work for you by reaching out to a range of experts across the globe. And some of them don't want me to call them experts, but these people have either trained in, in the style, or they've taught in the style, or they've gone through uh, the, the strictest programs in the style. So this week, I will be focusing on Cicchetti Technique, Royal Academy of Dance Technique, which is usually just called RAD. Um, I'll also be talking about French and uh, Paris Opera Ballet style training, which is a, a new one for me. I, I haven't really taken too many classes in, in that style. Um, 
So I'm excited to share that with you. And then we're going to sum up this week with a little bit of conversation on Bournemouth technique. Next week, I will share information with you about the Ganova technique, balancing technique, and the Cuban ways of training. Uh, so be sure to tune in next week as well to get a full picture of this massive scope of training possibilities. Now, let's get this show on the road. When I first started training, I honestly couldn't tell you one thing about styles of techniques. <laughs> I thought that ballet was one thing, one type of dance and one type of technique. Eventually, I started having a handful of teachers who had danced with the now defunct Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware, which was in Wilmington. Uh, and all of a sudden, I started hearing this word Vaganova, but I, I didn't really grasp more than the Russians did Vaganova Ballet. I mean, this thing needed in-depth explanation, and I was just showing up and taking class. As I started to have these instructors more and eventually moved on to uh, summer programs, I got a better idea that there was a lot more ways to execute different things in ballet than just the one way that I had been, I, that I had been taught. Though, I remember being a bit confused that the Russians had made their own style of ballet when I thought it was the French who had really uh, popularized the art form. <laughs> that just didn't make any sense to me. Anyway, I, I didn't get a, a firm lesson in the rigidity of a codified ballet technique syllabus until I attended the Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C. at the age of 17. All of a sudden, my classes followed an exact code that had been created uh, by famous dancers that, or I guess a famous dancer with Vaganova, that came before me. It was hard and slow and extremely methodical. We even had exams at the end of the year where the whole school, including staff, teachers, peers, and even parents would fly in to watch, to watch these exams. And they, they would watch us perform one nonstop class where at the end you would receive a grade that was actually factored into your academic GPA. So if you went to a regular academic high school um, and say that you had, uh, I don't know, a 4.0 and you did poorly on your ballet exams, it could bring your GPA down and it could actually keep you off of honor roll um, and it could make difficulties for applying to college if you weren't doing well in ballet. Um, but that, that's how it worked. It was, it was true exams that were factored into your academic grades. Then the following year, I moved on to the School of American Ballet, where I began to learn balancing technique, or as some people say, a me the methodology of balancing. just depends on your opinion on that. Uh, but uh, balancing technique, it was practically the opposite of the Ganova training uh, when it came to ideology. I'll get into more details on the differences in that as I move forward in these two episodes. But only when I went to SAB did I start to recognize differences and values in training in certain techniques. Or even transitioning between them to create my most well-rounded dancing self. So, as you can see, ballet technique in the United States is rarely so straightforward, and often has a variety of styles and concepts of different techniques and approaches to training classically trained dancers, sometimes in the same bout of training. So, from here on out, I'm going to offer you a sneak peek into as many styles of ballet as possible. I have reached out to a plethora of people in our field who have, have given me information to provide a brief explanation of the many techniques of ballet training, their focus, and how they are being used in modern day training. It would be impossible for me to give you every finest detail of each of these techniques, so I, I asked for a, a briefer explanation from those that I reached out to. But if you'd like more information, perhaps you can send me a message through my website contact page and I can get that information for you or get you in contact with one of these people. Um, if you want to do that, my website is www.barrycorollis.com. That's www.b-a-r-r-y-k-e-r-o-l-l-i-s.com. So again, one more time, some of these educators and dancers are experts and others have asked me to refrain from calling them experts, but I'm really grateful that they gave us this information. So today I bring you voices from people who have trained or, are, or who are training students in these styles. Let's get this technique ball rolling.
All right. Our first technique is cicchetti. Cicchetti is probably the most foreign technique to me. I remember hearing about some schools holding cicchetti exams for their students back when I was in my teens in the 90s, but ever since it seems to have fallen a bit off the radar when it comes to training styles. But fear not, for I have found an expert who is so gracious to share information on cicchetti technique. Diana Byers is the founder and artistic director of New York Theatre Ballet. This great New York City-based company also has a school, which is one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known school in the country for Chiquetti training. Diana gave me a great breakdown of information to share with you, so I'm going to share it with you. And uh, I'm not really sure if I'm going to share her, her notes verbatim or if I'm going to talk through this. So let's see where this goes. So first off, I, I asked what the structure of Chiquetti training is, and... The way Diana explained it is that the class begins at the bar. The students are actually expected to warm up themselves, and the bar is really only used to correct faults uh, in, in the dancer's tr training and technique. It's not used to warm the dancers up, um, which is definitely new for me. I, I like to think of the whole bar as warm-up. Um, the bar is short, it's about 25 to 30 minutes, and it's very simple. There is very little use of port bras and combinations are not choreographed at the bar. Uh, and the general structure, the breakdown of the order of uh, different steps at the bar is grand plies, then after that demi plies, then they go straight to grand batmans. Wow. Typically, most classes I take, the grand batmans are the last combination that you, that you do. Um... So yeah, grand plies, demi plies, then grand battements, then tendus, dégagés, rond de jambe, I'm assuming not here, adagio, frappes, and then stretches. Diana said that the center begins with corrective back exercises, and then it progresses to chiquetti portabra, and a set chiquetti adagio, or a choreographed adagio, sticking to the chiquetti principles, and then... The class moves into pirouettes, petit allegro, grand allegro, men's steps, and point work. The teacher instructs how to do each combination, working on technical skill, style, and musicality. And the classes are well-balanced and actually train the dancer. Cicchetti also has special combinations for each day. Interesting. Alright, so in a typical school that trains in Cicchetti, uh, the classes are supposed to be broken down into levels, and that depends on the school. Diana said that in New York Theatre Ballet, there are four levels for children beginning at the age of seven, and there is also a professional class level. There, there's actually a Cicchetti Society, and I think if you go online, you can find their website. And it's an internationally validated and recognized society of teachers, and they, they have graded levels and students are tested each year. Kind of similar to what I was talking about earlier with my exams uh, at the Kirov. The things that distinguish the difference, uh, distinguish and differentiate the levels for, for training are the skill of the dancer. The syllabus is well designed to train skill and not just recognize talent. Uh, so in other words, I, I'm assuming that if a dancer has a very natural facility, of course they, they'll have an, a bit of an easier time getting into the training, but the, the syllabus is designed to train a dancer of any aesthetic. As the dancer progresses, vocabulary is introduced appropriate to their level. And that, that's pretty good. I would hope that that takes place. Um, Alright, the next thing that I asked is what the focuses and the emphasis of Cicchetti technique are. And Diana said that the training does not focus on one specific aspect of dance training. It has an equal emphasis that is put on technique, style, and musicality, and how the student communicates with their audience. I love that. I always talk in my classes about how dance is a performing art, and a lot of times uh, dancers forget that they have to incorporate an aspect of performance into their, their classroom behaviors. The training, in Diana's opinion, uh, it trains the whole dancer so they can move in and out of just about any style of, of dance. New York Theatre Ballet's repertory includes works by Anthony Tudor, Frederick Ashton, Agnes DeMille. Uh, there are Broadway dances, Merce Cunningham, Jose Limon, Jerome Robin, Pam Tanowitz, Richard Olsen, and many young emerging choreographers. And her dancers are able to move easily in and out of all of these styles thanks to their Chiquetti training. One thing that I asked each person that uh, 
was so generous to offer me this information was how they got involved in their training. Um, and Diana, she got involved because her dance partner, Christopher Lial, Lial, <laughs> L-Y-A-L-L, he had brought her to a class that was taught by a woman named Margaret Kraski, who was a pupil of Chiquetti. And uh, Diana studied with her for 18 years. She says that Margaret taught dancing and never just gave a class and that she really made dancers. When asked why Diana still uses this current methodology, this, this Chiquetti training, she said that she feels that this, the Chiquetti syllabus makes an artist and not just a technician. She has taught this style <laughs> of training for almost 40 years. Congratulations. That's, that's uh, quite some staying power. Uh, I'm sure that she definitely has some, some great experience in this style of training. Looking at different places that people can train if they are interested in seeking out Chiquetti training, Diana told me that her school, Ballet School NY, which is the training school for New York Theatre Ballet, and also Alberta Ballet in Canada, their schools train their dancers Chiquetti. So, um... She she wasn't very sure if there were many others. I'm sure, and I that that's where I said earlier on that it's it had fallen off the radar a bit until I got to speak with, with Diana. But it it does seem that the schools that are training in Chiquetti are probably smaller, local, more regional schools that are doing this. And most schools in the country, at least in the United States, seem to have moved uh, beyond teaching Chiquetti classes and uh, have switched over to other styles. But um, seems like this is working really well for, for New York Theatre Ballet and the, the ballet school in New York. So that is your information on Chiquetti. Um, thank you so much to Diana Byers for uh, providing this information for, for me so that I can share all of this with you. Um, and if you have any questions, again, you can reach out to me and uh, I'll try to get that information to you or get you in contact with somebody, whether it's Diana or somebody else that is going to be able to help you. All right. Next up on this list, we have the Royal Academy of Dance, or like I said earlier, RAD, and I always want to say the Royal Academy of Dance, because if we were in England, that's probably how they'd say it. <laughs> RAD is another style of dance that is pretty foreign to me. I had tastes of RAD training when I trained at Houston Ballet Academy's summer program when Ben Stevenson was still directing the company, but I don't have much experience or knowledge of the tenets of RAD training. I know that this way of uh, creating a ballet dancer is still alive and well, but it is a bit more difficult to come across in the United States, especially in its purest form. I, I had the privilege of teaching at Los Angeles Ballet Academy a few years ago while I was freelancing with Baroque Ballet in their company launch in Santa Monica. And I believe Los Angeles Ballet Academy is in Encino, um, <clears throat> in the Encino area of Los Angeles County. Anyway, during that time, I met the lovely director of the Academy, Andrea Paris Gutierrez, who is also the mother of one of Joffrey's leading male dancers, Dylan Gutierrez. Andrea and I were discussing their school before I taught, and I remember her passionately talking about training her kids in RAD. So naturally, I reached out to her to share her experience as an RAD educator. Andrea asked me specifically to mention on here, since, you know, we are a media organization, that she is not a representative of RAD. She is a certified teacher that puts students up for examinations at her school. In no way or form is she representing the RAD organization by expressing her views and opinions on its training. That's like disclaimer alert. <laughs> so, she is a, a, an instructor that really knows what she's doing, and that's the reason why I wanted her to share this information. Uh, so, that's where we are. Let's talk about Royal Academy of Dance Training. Alright, so back to the beginning. What is the structure of RAD training? RAD has syllabuses, syllabus, syllabus, syllabi for all levels. There's preschool dance, there's pre-primary, and there's primary ballet. Then, the formal levels begin at grade one, and they go all the way up to eight. 
Then the vocational syllabus of which there are six levels, the final one being a solo seal, which for the examination phase is presented on stage in front of an audience and two to three judges from the professional dance community. RAD allows teachers to choose several different ways for the children to participate, including presentation classes and class awards. Um, so Andrea, she offered me a link if you want to go check this out, uh, that it'll tell you more about how you can participate in RAD, uh, RAD technique and uh, syllabus classes. Uh, you can go to www.rad.org.uk. All right, so you can go to that website. And if you do forward slash achieve, forward slash exams, that gives more information. But if you want to just check out RAD, that's your, that's your website. All right. So continuing on this path of learning about RAD technique, RAD started life in 1920 as the Association of Teachers of Operatic Dancing of Great Britain. Andrea's personal experience of the RAD is that the syllabus focuses on helping every student, regardless of their natural ability or physique, to attain the best possible training and help them tap into the techniques that makes taking ballet a healthy and artistically fulfilling activity. So that's pretty similar to the Cicchetti style training. It's not um, this idea like if you go to a, a Russian training school in Russia where they take out the tape measures and they measure your limbs and they see how high your legs go and if you don't fit into that aesthetic you can't be a part of the training. This definitely seems like it allows access for any dancer to be able to train in ballet and to improve their, their flexibility and their technique and their art and posture and all that. Speaking of posture, uh, Andrea says that the emphasis is on posture, placement, and technique. Plus, there is also attention given to musicality, expression, coordination, and the syllabus also includes combinations called free movement. Interesting. Which is a neoclassical style of movement. Um, and beyond that, they also have character dance exercises that are included in their final examination setting. The students have a sense of accomplishment through performance of combinations and variations that increase in difficulty as the levels progress. Very interesting. So, I asked Andrea why she decided to train her students in RAD versus any other technique, and she said, as a younger dancer, she trained in a similar method, and she liked the goal setting of taking her examination at the end of each year. Andrea started looking at RAD when she was still dancing professionally, which was also the time when she became a younger teacher. She felt she needed guidance and a curriculum to help formulate ideas and ways to teach young children successfully. RAD has changed considerably over the years. The examinations now are more presentational than they were when Andrea first started teaching it. The new curriculum demands more from teachers as they have to break down the work and do a lot of their own preparation before they teach the actual material that the children will present in the exam. You cannot just jump in, look at the book, and teach the steps. You have to break it down considerably before you reach the final product that is presented in the examination. Thinking about that, I really like the idea that their curriculum has uh, adjusted over, over the years because one thing that I thought was, was challenging in my training in Vaganova, and I'll talk about this next week, um, but the port bras in Vaganova, because it's Russian, it tends to bring the torso slightly behind the hips. Um, and this is because back in the day, the and even still in parts of Europe today, there are stages that are raked, which means that they, there's just a slight grade, like a tilt upwards from the front of the stage all the way to the back of the stage, from downstage all the way to upstage. That's why it's called upstage, because it was above the, the lower part of the stage. Um, so as the as the time has passed, a lot of stages have become flat and the seating has changed. The seating has become raked so that people can view view the dancing. Um, but when I was trained at the Care of Academy in Ballet, we were taught to have that carriage that you have to have in order to stay upright on uh, a raked stage. Um, and as I progressed into my career, that became, instead of an asset to me, it became one of my my challenges because I was always a bit back because uh, I was dancing on a flat stage. So I really love that idea that um, RAD is is updating their curriculum as time passes, as we evolve in this dance world. <laughs> All right, 
Enough of my my conversation there. Let's get back to the information about RID. So, major schools that uh, train their students in RID. Many British vocational ballet schools offer RID examinations and teacher training as a part of their curriculum. Elmhurst and Central School, I believe those are both in in the UK, uh, and then National Ballet of Canada also has teacher courses in RID. Also, the Boston Conservatory will offer RID teacher training next year. So, if you're in the U.S. and you're curious about RID training, you you might want to check out Boston Conservatory. Um... I asked if there was anything else that I didn't ask that Andrew would like to add, and this is what she had to say. RAD is more demanding for teacher and training, or for the teacher and training, than many popular methods today. The teacher qualification process, if it, it is very stringent and is a two-year course. You must have a mentor who is RAD certified if you are doing independent study, who reports to the student and to to the students and to the RID about your progress and monitors your process throughout. Teacher training programs are also available at the RID in London and at Boston Conservatory and Sarasota Valley in the United States. The continuing education requirement for teachers requires that we stay current, we as in Andrea, that they stay current with methods and trends in dance education and dancers' health. And they also offer seminars and opportunities to continue your education in many parts of the world. However, Andrea can receive a continuing professional development. uh, She can receive points in continued professional development in many ways. Last summer, she trained at the Bolshoi teacher training course as she likes to incorporate many of the elements that she learned there into her daily teachings. After taking this course, it reinforced to her that we are more the same than different in the outcomes that we pursue as educators for training dancers. However, in the United States, we need to consider that we will get many different kinds of bodies to teach, and we must find ways to help them all to be the best in their safe training regime. So yeah, I agree. Not everybody's the same, and not everybody can do ballet exactly the same. So, with all of that, just to sum all that up, Andrea wanted me to share. She wrote a blog a few years ago about her opinions on teaching met- on the teaching method. So you can go to laballet.com, uh, and if you do forward slash Andrea's blog, that's A-N-D-R-E-A-S, B-L-O-G, blog, uh, forward slash. There's a question mark, a P, an equal sign, and a 4-4. I should have probably made that into a bit.ly for you, but I think you can get get there from that. All right. We're about halfway through this week's episode. That's why I decided to break this up into two. Imagine if I did all seven techniques I mentioned. So, okay. Next up on my list of classical ballet techniques is the French style of dance, which originated at the Paris Opera Ballet. This is one style that I have practically zero experience in. I've taken a small handful of classes from instructors that are influenced by the French uh, technique, which I find ironic considering that ballet is a French art form. While the French school is the leading state school in France... I can't verify for you whether or not it is an extension of the original ballet court dancing that was popularized popularized by the sun god King Louis XIV. But what I can tell you is that I have some great information to share with you from two fantastic resources of information. First off, Karine Averti, who is currently on faculty at American Ballet Theater, JKO School of Ballet. Um, and she is also a colleague of mine at Steps on Broadway. I, uh, I've taken her class many times, and I love her class. She is a fantastic teacher, and she pulls uh, her, her different ways of teaching from the Paris Opera Ballet system, where she spent 32 years between the Paris Opera Ballet School and eventually dancing with the company, where she rose to the rank of premier danseuse, which I believe is the equivalent to a principal dancer. Before moving on to teaching, Karine spent two years as a principal with San Francisco Ballet. Additionally, 
I spoke with Sebastian Ryu, who currently works internationally as a guest ballet master. Sebastian danced for 15 years with Capitol de Toulouse. I apologize for any of my accent <laughs> that's not sounding anything correct or proper. Uh, he also danced at the Opera National, National de Bordeaux and with Le Grand Ballet Canadien in Montreal. He has coached at schools in France, Switzerland, the US, UK, Spain, and beyond. So while I don't know much about French training, I made sure that I got some quality people to help me out and to tell you what French training is all about. So speaking to the structure of training uh, in the French style, it's interesting actually. So Karine or Karen, however you wish, if you want to say it in, with a French accent or an American accent, um, she says that there are five levels of, of training at the Paris Opera Ballet School. Um, and interesting because, so Sebastien, so the, these two dancers have had different experiences, and I'll, I'll get a little bit more into detail about their background, how they got into this. But Sebastien says, uh, proper French training, or if we wish to call it the French school, um, it's very structured and it is divided into six levels, which are called divisions. So you can see there's even in this style of training, uh, which is more has more more limited uh, accessibility. There's even differences here, but it's divided into six levels, which are called divisions. The sixth division being the youngest students, around 10 to 11 years old, and the first being the oldest students. Of course, boys and girls are trained in separate classes, which isn't necessarily true for other styles, but not for pas de deux classes, uh, Russian dance, theatrical classes, music, or contemporary. Sebastian says the things that distinguish and differentiate the levels are the age of the students and the capacities of the kid, but age really comes first here. It is also very codified about what ballet steps the students are learning depending on the level depending on the level that they are in. There is a proper age to learn how to dance on point, for example, or for the for the men how to do a double tour on lair. So, as you can see, there are even different structures to training within one style as they travel with the dancers who move on to teaching. The focuses of French style training that, that Karen re really took from, uh, from her, her time at the Paris Opera Ballet School is placement. Uh, she said there was also great emphasis on turnout, épaulement, the upper body, um, and that's one that I've heard a lot, that there's, there's a great focus on épaulement. Actually, when I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet, there was a, a dancer named Lior. Leora, <laughs> Leora Neuville, well, she's Leora Neuville now, but uh, her last name was Rioja, and she said Rioja Roja. Um, she was known at PNB as uh, being the queen of a Mall. She had just beautiful movement of her upper body, but not to get sidetracked. Karine also says that lines, elegance, and musicality are, are main focuses of, of French training. Sebastian, uh, his, his experience with French training is that it is a very complete training. It trains the whole dancer. He mentions that, essentially, and this makes sense to me, based off of the foundation of ballet, that uh, all the other schools uh, of training, whether it's Russian, Bourneville, Balanchine, they're all coming from the French school. Um, so you'll actually find aspects of French training and technique in every other ballet school. That's interesting. I really, I think that's fascinating. Um, Sebastian says, though it would be correct to say that French school is focusing on the cleanliness of execution, uh, including correct fifth position, uh, precise positions. Uh, there's just no room for approximation. Uh, the work of the bas de jambe, which means particular attention to the bottom legs, meaning focusing on the turnout and the best way to present the feet. Uh, there's also focus in petite batterie, which is small jumps and beats. Uh, so think changements and jetés and uh, brisé, brisé volé, all that kind of stuff. For the women, a very clean and refined uh, use of point shoes, uh, so lot good footwork on point, um, without hitting the floor like you would be in clogs or in tap shoes. And for the boys, uh, he mentions that there is a very clean and pure technique rather than kicking the legs into tricks and doing wild 
uh, jumps like 540s and things like that. So it seems it's a bit more of a reserve technique. Um, there's also a large part of attention given to the coordination of the body from the head to the arms and the legs. Sebastien says that French teachers are often saying quality over quantity, and I am a big advocate for that, so I love that. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit of French in me. Alright, so I asked each of these guys if they teach uh, in, in the French style because I, I always find it fascinating that just because you went to a school, like I went to the Carroll Academy of Ballet, um, and then after that, I went to School American Ballet, and then Dance with Houston Ballet and Pacific Northwest Ballet, and we had different styles each place. Um, so I tend to teach a, a mixed class of what I think is the best of my own training. So I, I really thought it was interesting to ask these uh, lovely people if if they still teach in these uh, these styles, because I don't want to just assume that. So Karine, she says that she teaches uh, the French school, the Paris Opera Ballet School, and she loves it. She has a great respect for it, and uh, I mean, it goes back to the 32 years of, of history with that, which is quite incredible. Um, at the same time, Karine also says that she uses Cicchetti, uh, some Cicchetti, some Bourneville, and some balancing techniques in there, um, and that she loves them all. She says she's a really open-minded teacher, um, and that would also make sense because she eventually went on to dance with San Francisco Ballet, and San Francisco Ballet is a very American company with dancers coming from everywhere internationally. When I say American, it's that mixing pot idea where you have local American talent, and then you also have people coming from outside of the country, like Karine. So uh, it makes sense that she probably got to dance some balancing ballets and get some ideas of what balancing technique was. So she is uh, she's more of that school where she likes a well-rounded class um, that uses multiple styles to make the best dancer. Uh, Sebastien says that he started ballet quite late. He was about 16 years old, and he got hired in the Bordeaux Opera Ballet in France at 20. The director there, uh, Charles Jude, he's a retired <laughs> P.O.B., Paris Opera Ballet star, uh, and he brought his team with him when he took over the organization. Uh, Sebastien, he learned all the French methodology through his classes and his ballet masters and all the teachers from Paris Opera Ballet, um, and he uh, even got invited to teach for the company. Later, uh, when Sebastien started to teach himself, oh, so that was Charles Jude who got to teach for the company, but uh, Sebastien himself, he started to teach it, took a lot of notes from them, and uh, from old documentaries of the Paris Opera Ballet and some colleagues, including his wife, who came from the POB school. Uh, Sebastian, he's teaching that methodology on a daily basis because he believes it is simply the best, the best one. He, he says it's, it is the most complete, pure, academic, and clear. Everything is codified and has never been distorted or transformed to suit specific needs. So, unlike R.A.D. and Cicchetti that we were talking about earlier, this is definitely a technique where uh, if your body's not going to be able to adjust to the technique, that might be an issue. Um, but if you have the aesthetic that you, you should fit into this technique, well, maybe that's the reason that this hasn't been... Uh, brought as much into the United States. That's another podcast, but I don't have time for that on this one. <laughs> so maybe another one, but I think that's really interesting. Um, places that Paris, sorry, that, that the Paris Opera Ballet French style is taught is obviously the Paris Opera Ballet. Um, Sebastian also says in other major schools, the CNSM de Paris, which is the Conservatoire. <clears throat> There's also a large number of smaller conservatories in the biggest French cities and a few private schools. Uh, lastly, I asked if, if uh, either of these uh, helpful, helpful people uh, <laughs> would like to share anything else or that if there's anything else that we should know about French training. And Karine says there's always... Uh, in, in the world of ballet, dancers who have studied at the Paris Opera Ballet School, even if it was one year or if it was more at the school. And she said that all of these dancers keep in mind their their beautiful, beautiful training uh, that they got at, at the school in order to share it and transmit it to their students as teachers or school directors or company directors. And she just loves that they bring their teaching, their, their French-style Paris Opera Ballet teaching and add a touch of, uh, of the French to, to their dancers. 
And Sebastien, he says, it is important to add that French technique is not only about dance and ballet technique, but focuses also a lot on the culture of hard work, rigor, and the transmission uh, from dancers that are actually confirmed uh, students from the Paris Opera Ballet School. Uh, French ballet training also gives a very large part of to artistic uh, quality and interpretation of roles. They believe that a dancer is also an actor and that ballet should give emotion to the audience. Sebastian, he suggests that you watch, you can watch a lot of documentaries um, of principals from Paris Opera Ballet, and through watching those, they transmit their artistic knowledge to younger dancers. So. Uh, he reminds us that it is a school based a lot on transmission. So that was that was interesting. That that is our French Paris opera style, uh, ballet style uh, section, and um, I didn't expect all that information. It was very varied, and it's interesting to see two different perspectives on that. Next week, I might have another style that I give more than one perspective on. So, all right. Here we go, our final style, Bourneville training. I had a small taste of Bourneville training during my time at the School of American Ballet. There were some heavy influencers in the style of dancing at New York City Ballet back uh, around 2002-2003, which included the current ballet master-in-chief. He's essentially the artistic director, Peter Martins, and the now director of Royal Danish Ballet, Nikolai Hube. Bourneville is developed in Denmark and is a very particular type of technique. Uh, I sometimes compare Bourneville technique to that of floor work in contemporary dance. It has a great deal to offer in building technique, but focuses mostly on one or two areas. Um, I personally feel a dancer needs to have training in another style of ballet today to become a well-enough-rounded dancer to exist in today's profession. But Bourneville offers a great many tools that can help add unique qualities to one's dancing. Our Bourneville expert is Alex Pandisho, who currently works on faculty at Houston Ballet Academy and at Uptown Dance Center in Houston, Texas. We started our careers together, old friends, as apprentices at Houston Ballet, and I'm so happy he was willing to be a part of this podcast. During our time together in Houston, it wasn't uncommon for us to spend our weekends in heavy, heavy discussion about our art form. This guy is passionate and definitely what I would consider a ballet philosopher. So, with that said, let's hear what Alex had to say about Bourneville technique. So, the structure of Bourneville training. Bourneville School consists of six daily classes, one for each day, Monday through Saturday. There are not different levels, although there tends to be a slight progression in difficulty throughout the week. All the classes require a solid technical foundation and, in general, should be reserved for advanced students. Huh, very interesting. If working with less advanced students, a teacher must select appropriate exercises. Um, there is a book called The Bourneville School uh, by Kirsten Ralov, R-A-L-O-V, and she makes some excellent suggestions for introductory exercises. The class exercises, known as enchaînement, that's hard to say, enchaînement, it's like a changement, but not E-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-M-E-N-T-S. I hope you guys don't mind me spelling on here. It's a podcast. It's not written out, so I, I, I like to sometimes spell it out. So if I am mispronouncing it, you can you can look it up. Uh, but these exercises were collected and organized by August Bournonville's successor, Hans Beck. Just as the steps are predetermined, there is also set music for each enchaînement. Uh, I've heard stories of dancers from older generations, that is Alex who has heard those stories, um, who have trained in the Bourneville School, uh, he's heard stories uh, about these dancers whose muscle memory allowed them to recall steps immediately upon hearing the music, even years after, afterwards. Learning the classes is almost like learning repertoire. Uh, they, he says that they represent what Bourneville's students remember of their ballet master's training and are the closest link that we have to the old French school of Auguste Vestris, Vestris from uh, where which Bourneville came. The enchaînements are a treasure trove of challenging training exercises that develop excellent technique. I hope that I'm, I really want to say that word correctly, enchaînement. <laughs> All right, what are the focuses of Bourneville technique? The style is perhaps most widely known for the complex battery with arms often held bra-ba, although there is a lot more to Bourneville than just the legs. So uh, bra-ba, that's low. The, the arms are held in, in a lower position. So and if you see any Bourneville uh, 
ballets like Napoli, um, you'll notice that the dancers very rarely lift their arms above shoulder level or even at shoulder level. <clears throat> All right, studying Bourneville, uh, one discovers a joyous dancing quality, sensitive musical phrasing, a generous port de bras, and harmonious epaulement. Sharing the joy of dance was very important to Bourneville himself, and a truly good Bourneville dancer makes the audience want to get up and dance. Sounds very festive. Bourneville is known as a wonderful style for developing men's technique and developing a great ballon, which is that lift in a jump. Bourneville himself was actually an excellent dancer. The women, too, are required to jump and turn just as much as the men, and the footwork is intricate for both. Personally, Alex finds the way the steps are connected to be one of the most defining elements of the style. Often, the upper body indicates how the body weight will shift into the next step and vice versa. So that the steps flow quite fluidly and almost imperceptibly from one moment to the next. There is never a run to the corner to prepare for a diagonal as is common in petit pas. From a technical standpoint, the adagio en chamon involve lots of grand plies and promenades. The turns are often from second position in sur le coup de pied, which I have experienced in classes before, <laughs> and the allegro can be quite intricate and fast. There are also a number of quirky little old steps that make them a lot of fun to dance. So, Alex first started learning Bourneville at the age of 11 with Kenneth Oberly in a summer program in Vermont, where he learned uh, the Thursday class. So, as you remember, back at the beginning of the structure, they have a Monday class, a Tuesday class, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday class. So, uh, Thursday was the day. Apparently, that was the day back then. <laughs> but, uh, Kenneth had studied with the famous Edel, Edel, E-D-E-L, Peterson, in Copenhagen, and his passion for the Danish style was infectious. Alex was immediately obsessed. Alex went back the next year to study with Kenneth again, and this time he got to learn Wednesday's class. <laughs> uh, and he later visited annually to give workshops uh, Kenneth did at, at Alex's ballet school in Massachusetts. Alex really began to discover the style through the many Bourneville ballets that he performed while he danced with the youth company at his school at Massachusetts Youth Ballet. He danced Flower Festival, often Flower Festival in Gonzano, uh, Kermes en Bruges, that's B-R-U-G-E-S, Napoli and La Sophie. Then, beyond his wildest dreams, <laughs> Alex had the joy of attending a summer school at the Royal Danish Ballet, which was led by teachers from both the company and the school. A couple of years later, while Alex was a student at San Francisco Ballet School, Peter Brandenhoff, who's a former dancer with the Royal Danish Ballet, who also went through the school, he coached Alex in uh, Divertissement from Napoli. As a professional at Houston Ballet, former Royal ba Danish Ballet dancer and artistic director Johnny Eliasson would come and coach the company, and Alex would occasionally have the opportunity to drop into his Bourneville classes uh, when he would teach them at the academy there. Alex started teaching the Bourneville classes uh, and repertoire about 10 years ago as he began to realize that most Americans had not, this, had, had not experienced the same exposure to the style as he had. And this is the reason why I reached out to Alex, because we used to talk about this all the time when we were practically kids, uh, but yet there aren't many people in the United States that have uh, a lot of experience with Bourneville. For Alex, it is a pure joy to share Bourneville, and he thinks that there's nothing else that he would rather do. The enchaînement, there's that word again, it helps teach students musical phrasing and purity and strengthen them in ways modern ballet classes do not. Every January, Alex teaches his advanced students some Bourneville enchaînement based on their ability. It's always fun for the students to step inside this time capsule and to discover another world altogether. He feels it's important for dancers to know where we come from, and Bourneville is at the root of our shared heritage. So, if you're interested in training in the Bourneville style, the home of that style of technique is the Royal Danish Ballet in Copenhagen. Although the Bourneville School is widely recognized for the excellent dances it creates, not even at the Royal Danish Ballet do dancers still train exclusively in that style. This is because professional ballet dancers today are required to have much greater versatility and the classical style internationally has evolved to include much more bravura. 
So kind of like I was saying earlier, uh, it's like, like I said, with contemporary dance, like floor work, you don't just want to do floor work and see floor work and choreography all the time. It's a, a pathway to creating a, a better, well, more well-rounded piece. Uh, and that it seems that Bourneville and Alex seems to agree is it, Bourneville is that way. The Bourneville heritage is a Danish national treasure and it is being well-preserved and passed down this day. Just a little final tidbit about Bourneville training. There are also three sets of bar exercises that each repeat once throughout the week. Though these days, the Bourneville bars are mostly preserved for historical interest rather than training purposes. The order and quantity of some steps seems absurd in comparison to modern methods. Monday's third exercise involves 96 Grombot Maha, for instance. Wow, that's insane. Uh, and uh, one last fun fact that Alex gave uh, for me to share with you guys is that there is no Alanger in Bourneville. Uh, this is sometimes a challenge for dancers not familiar with the style, particularly when the arms and legs have to close simultaneously from a big pose to fifth position with arms bra bra. So it's just a fun fact. I need to ask him to show me that because I, I don't even know if I could figure that out. Anyway. We have made it through part one of this crazy intense podcast. I have spent so much time <laughs> putting this together, uh, so I, I hope that you're really enjoying it. Um, next week will be a little shorter because we'll only be talking about Vaganova Balanchine and Cuban-style training, but um, I, I feel that this is just an extremely important resource for us to have out there. Um, and again, a lot of these are opinions. These are not directly from these organizations, but, uh, it's coming straight from the horse's mouth. These are people that have come up through these, these styles have had professional careers and, um, are now passing these styles on to the, the next generation of dancers. Uh, so don't forget, come back next week and listen to next week episode to get the entire, the full and wholly encompassing idea of all this training. Like I said, I've taken a lot of time putting this this episode together, and I would love it if you could give this episode a share, as I think the whole dance world can benefit from listening. I also want to thank Melissa Clapper from Pirouettes from the Past for helping inspire me to cross over collaborate with her on this episode. So again, please be sure to go over to her podcast and listen to the history behind many of these techniques. Also, I want to send out some love to all of the, the people that have helped contribute uh, to this podcast and that uh, gave me all this information to present to you, uh, my listeners. So thank you so much to, to all of them. I feel so privileged to call many of these people my friends, my colleagues, and my peers. So until next week, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycarollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find these at premierdancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollos, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollos, featuring my choreography, and Choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.